The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. What the Bible has to say about prayer, before I delve into it, just a little upfront groundwork, getting a little feedback it sounds like, um, things you need to consider, just basic presuppositions or givens. This is not an exhaustive study on prayer. That's what was so intimidating. I could have done a 12-week series on prayer. We're not even really going to scratch the surface here. Just going to hit high points. So it's not exhaustive or comprehensive in any way. I am also, it's a given that I'm talking to believers. Okay? So we're talking about believers regarding biblical prayer. Another assumption. And that the Word of God is the authority. Jesus Christ is the model. Those are our presuppositions. We'll do it within that framework. And I structured around some questions about prayer. Five questions are... What is prayer? Number two, why pray? Number three, how do we pray? Number four, why pray every day, as the Bible says? And then number five, what inhibits prayer? So as we search the Scriptures to answer those questions, I trust we will be reminded afresh and anew from God's Word and hopefully with His Spirit working on our hearts to make a renewed commitment to be people of passionate prayer. Before I get into that, I just want to read three verses out of the book of Hebrews. Just great reminders. These are just amazing verses on prayer. Sometimes we don't read these very often. I think of Hebrews, neglected book. But Hebrews 5.7 says this, talking about Jesus when he was here on earth for 33 years. Talking about Jesus' prayer life, uh, Hebrews 5.7 says this, In the days of his flesh, when he was a man on earth, In the days of Jesus' flesh, Jesus offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. Jesus was passionate in His prayer life. Isn't that amazing? He was God of the universe, and yet as incarnate, He offered prayer regularly, prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the One able to save Him from death, that's the Father, And Jesus was heard because of His piety. Jesus was committed to prayer. Here's another one in Hebrews 4. Starting at verse 14, Since then we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near... Christians, let us draw near to the throne of God in prayer is what it's talking about. Let us therefore draw near to God with confidence to the throne of grace in order that we may receive mercy. Anybody need some mercy? I do. Man. So that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in a time of need. Every day of life is a time of need for me. And then the last one about prayer. Hebrews 11.6 The whole chapter commands great people of the faith in the Old Testament. The reason they were great was not anything in and of themselves. They were great because they trusted God. They were people of faith. They walked by faith, not by sight. They were exemplary models for us to follow after. And a summary statement really is given in 11 verse 6. Hebrews says this, and without faith, without faith, without trusting God, 
And that's what prayer is all about. Trusting God. Going to Him in dependence and prayer. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. God is pleased with faith. God is pleased with prayer. God is pleased when we depend upon Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him in faith. It's awesome. Okay, before we get to our five questions, let me ask you some questions. And I'm also asking myself these questions. These are diagnostic. They're meant to be reflective. This is good because our lives are so busy, rarely do we just stop and think, evaluate, diagnose, and reflect at a very deep level. We don't do that enough. I know I don't. So, let me be a catalyst to that end for you regarding your prayer life. Again, I'm talking to Christians. Christian, when was the last time you had extended time of prayer alone with God, undistracted, behind closed doors? When was the last time you did that? You don't have to answer out loud, by the way. Answer in your own heart. Because that's what Jesus said. Close the door. Go in your closet. Be by yourself. Next question. Christian, when was the last time you were literally on your knees or your face praying? On your knees. On your face. You don't have to always pray on your knees. You can pray anywhere. But this was definitely modeled by Solomon and others. Daniel. David. It's a sign of humility and submission. Praying on your knees. Next question. Christian, if you're married, Christian, and your spouse is a believer and you're a believer, when was the last time you prayed with your spouse? And I'm not talking about over dinner time or something real quick. I'm talking about purposeful, deliberate prayer, hand in hand, or at least side by side with your spouse before God. I've done a lot of marriage counseling over the years. The first question I ever ask a married couple Tell me about your devotional life. Tell me about your prayer life. When was the last time the two of you Christians as a married couple prayed together? I've had people married 7, 11, and 14 years, 40 years most recently, not from this church, so don't get nervous. Um, But these are ones from previous churches. Christians, they couldn't answer the question. I don't know the last time I prayed with my spouse. Oh, no wonder you're having marriage problems. It's like basic for a Christian. I've been encouraged since I've been at this church. I know of couples who pray weekly together, daily even. That's awesome. Christian, Christian dads, when was the last time you prayed specifically at length for every member of your family, your wife and your kids by name for every area of life? God's ordained you as the spiritual leader, the high priest of your home. Kids, Teenagers, elementary kids that call yourself Christian, this is for you. When was the last time you prayed for your parents' marriage? They need it. Your parents are sinners. They need God's grace. They need your prayers. They need your help. They need God's help. You're not too young to pray. Next one. This is for everybody who's a Christian. When was the last time you prayed specifically against satanic attack? When was the last time you prayed that God would protect you from Satan and his wiles? Next one. When was the last time you prayed for the leaders of your church? Other members in your church? Or your government officials, the Scripture commands? When was the last time you did that? 
Again, I'm talking to myself as well. I'm feeling convicted from my questions. Why did I do this? Anyway, okay, last one. When was the last time you came to a GBF prayer meeting, especially members of GBF? If you didn't have a conflict like a job or something else that was legitimate as a member, I mean, why wouldn't you come? What, what are you doing if you're not coming? I don't, I don't get it. Which is the second part of my question. When you don't come, why not? Because there are legitimate questions. There are reasons not to. We have people in this church that work on Monday evenings. I understand that. So anyway, let's go on. Uh, let's look at what the Bible has to say about prayer. Question number one. What is prayer? Simply defined. I put there, prayer is personal, supernatural communication with God. Talking with God. Conversing with God. That's an amazing concept. It is personal. By personal, I mean the fact that we creatures, finite, fallen creatures, can actually talk, converse to the almighty, infinite, eternal, holy creator of the universe is mind-boggling. Isn't it? That the same way I can talk to my friend, my spouse, my child, I can talk to the creator of the universe in the same way. That is amazing. And the only reason that we can do that, Christian prayer is based on the foundation of who God is. God is first and foremost, whatever you think about Him, God is first and foremost a person, a divine person. He's not, he doesn't have a body, but He is a person. He, he is a rational being. He has a will. He has emotions. He is a person. He is a, he is a social being. He exists to have interpersonal relationship with others, hence He's triune. So first and foremost, God is a personal being. And when it says in Genesis 1 that we were made in God's image, the first and main thing that means is we were made as personal beings, distinct from animals, distinct from rocks and trees and the rest of creation. Personal, the ability to interact socially at the most intimate level with another human being. It's personal. Supernatural. The ability to communicate with the God of the universe is a supernatural act. And every answered prayer is a miracle. Some people accuse certain people in the evangelical world if they say that, well, there aren't apostles around today or that some of the miraculous gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 have passed away because that's what 1 Corinthians 13.8 says. They say, well, you don't believe in miracles. Well, absolutely, I do. The greatest miracle of all is when somebody gets saved. Another miracle is every answered prayer is a miracle, Literally. So it is miraculous. It is supernatural communication with God. Also, uh, biblical prayer is spontaneous. In other words, we don't go to God with these canned, ritualistic, prescribed and proscribed prayers that are to be memorized. Because that is not the model in the Old Testament. That was not the model of Jesus. That's the, not the model of the New Testament. Rituals. As a matter of fact, Jesus warned against that in, in Matthew 6. He warned against two kinds of prayers. When His disciples asked Him to, to teach them to pray, which is... Also amazing, if you think about it, when you read in Luke... So Matthew 6 and Luke 11 give us the Lord's Prayer. And before Jesus goes into the Lord's Prayer, He says something different in each chapter. In Luke 11, what prompts Jesus to teach His disciples how to pray is it says that He was praying, which He did. He was accustomed to doing. Jesus prayed early in the morning, all the time, continually and forevermore. He was a man of prayer. And so his disciples who had been hanging around him noticed Jesus is always praying and he prays differently than the way we pray and he prays differently than the way we were taught to pray in the synagogue and by the Pharisees. And Jesus was praying. It's like he had this 
intimate relationship with the Creator of the universe that they desired and did not have. They didn't even know how to pray. These are grown men, grown Jewish fishermen, grown mature men, raised in the synagogue, raised in Old Testament Scripture. And they are baffled when they see Jesus' prayer life. That's Luke 11. So they go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us to pray like You do. Because we don't pray like You do. We pray like the Pharisees taught us. What was that? That was canned, spiritual, superficial prayers. They wanted real, intimate, personal prayer. They didn't even know how to do it. And so that's what prompted Jesus to do this, prompted the question. He was praying, and they asked, Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus said, pray like this. And He warned them before He taught them. He said, don't pray like the hypocrites, the Pharisees. Don't do it. They're superficial. They do it for show. And they are religious. Don't be like them. Don't pray like them. But then He said also, and He warned, don't pray like the pagans, the Gentiles. Every religion prays. Prayer is not inherently legitimate. It's got to be biblical prayer. False religions pray. Every religion prays. So Jesus warned against pagan, unbelieving, unscriptural prayer. And He specifically said, do not be like the pagans. How do they pray? They pray with mantras. What is a mantra? A mantra is either a single word or literally thousands of words that you memorize and recite over and over and over and over again in a mechanical fashion to literally empty your brain and to force yourself to stop thinking. That's what it does. Whether it's Hinduism, meditating on one word of a mantra of some god like Om, or whether it's Islam, where they're meditating over and over again on the Quran, and that's what the Quran means. It is the recitation. The Quran is not like a Bible that you do exegesis and exposition of and study it to apply it to your life. The Quran is given for oral recitation and memorization. It's one of the longest prayers in the entire world. That's what I mean. The difference is biblical prayer is spontaneous. It is conversation moved, prompted by the Spirit, issuing from the heart, talking to Almighty God of the universe. There's hardly a repeated prayer in the entire Old Testament with the hundreds and thousands of prayers that are there. Hardly any of them are repeated. There are no canned spiels. As a matter of fact, there's at least 80 totally original prayers in the Old Testament. 60 of the 150 Psalms are in prayers in their entirety. Not one of them is identical. 14 of the Psalms are partial prayers. And the common denominator it is, is spontaneous crying out of someone who knows God to the Creator of the universe. They were not dependent on canned spiels. And Jesus said pagans do that because they think by virtue of their many words, by repeating over and over again, whether it's one word or it's uh, the Hail Mary, repeating it over and over and over again, Jesus said that the pagans do that because they think by their many words they'll get God's attention and that He will be impressed. And Jesus said, no, don't do that. God is not impressed with your prayers and your repetition. As a matter of fact, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. It's amazing. But He still wants us to pray. So that's prayer. It's spontaneous. It is ongoing communion with God. That's why Scripture can say to the Christian, in everything pray, continually pray, pray always. You should be literally in conversation with God all the time wherever you go. He, he is your friend who never leaves you or forsakes you, right? The Holy Spirit is with you wherever you go. It's like having your best friend with you all the time. What inhibits relationship in a marriage relationship? What inhibits a depth of relationship and quality relationship with a friend is a lack of communication or poor communication. The same with God. You need to cultivate and nurture your relationship with God with communication that is ongoing, honest, sincere, biblical. 
So that's what prayer is. It is ongoing communion, communication, talk, and conversation with the God of the universe. Uh, point B there is that it's spontaneous, ongoing communion with God individually and corporately. The Bible has examples of individual prayer all over the place and also corporate prayer. I thank God for GBF and what He has done. And He has blessed us with many wonderful saints and amazing ministries and fantastic provision. But as a pastor, the one thing that has really broken, or not broken, but ached my heart from day one is how we pray corporately. I wouldn't say that GBF is known for its prayer life, corporately speaking. At least, I haven't seen it. And the blame is on me, I think. It's got to come from the leadership. We need to do a better job praying corporately, I think, as a church. That's the only way we're going to be in God's will, be obedient, be healthy, and be blessed. We have got to be a praying people. Just look at the book of Acts. It's filled with prayer when the church started. The church of Jesus Christ was born in prayer. Jesus told His disciples before He ascended, stay here and wait. Wait what? Wait praying. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 1. That's how the church... The church was birthed in prayer. Corporately together. Acts chapter 1, listen to this. So Jesus ascends into heaven and it says, Acts 1.13, the apostles got together and then all the saints got together, including some of the women. Verse 14, these all, the early church, they were with one mind, continually devoting themselves corporately to prayer. Continually. That was the pattern of the early church. Continual corporate prayer. Here in America, that's a particular challenge for us, right? Because we have isolated ourselves. We've got our own little house and our own little fence and our own little... And everything, all of our relations are on the computer and the uh, whatever it is. We've become so isolationist. It's hard to do this. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women. How many people were there? 120 people were there praying together with the apostles, with Peter. Peter stood up, verse 16... The Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David. They prayed together, 120 people, and then God started the church. God birthed the church in corporate prayer. Then the church came into existence and they were still committed continually to corporate prayer. What are the four marks of a church? Fundamentals of a church. You can't have a church without at least a minimum of these four things. Really five. Verse 47 included. Here are the four things. What were the early church people doing. Verse 42 of Acts 2 says they were continually devoted. It was a lifestyle. It was a practice. It was a basic fundamental commitment. They were continually doing it. They didn't compromise on it. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we got preaching. No problem. We got Sunday school. We got Bible studies. We're doing that. It's a good thing. It's the foundation of everything. They were committed to the apostles' teaching and also to fellowship. We've got that at GBF. They were committed to the breaking of bread, whether it's communion or literally eating food together, as some scholars believe. And then finally, what else was the church doing that was basic? They were committed continually together to prayer. Uh, I don't think we're doing it enough, corporately speaking. We need to improve. So we need to be committed to corporate prayer. Uh, but that is prayer. Conversation with God. Why pray as a Christian? Well, let's just be reminded of some basics. Number one, or letter A, it is a command. When God tells a Christian to do it, we should do it, right? Obey. Yes, God. Because we know You, because we love You, because we want to please You. So it's a command. I just put 1 Timothy 2 there. Um, verse 1, Timothy being exhorted by the Apostle Paul. I exhort. This is a command. This is not an option. This is not a preference. He says, I exhort. I command. 
You'll be accountable for this. This is your responsibility. You need to do it. I exhort first of all. It is a priority. Prayer is a priority. First of all. Before the fellowship meal. Before the color of the carpet. Before the greeting name tags. Before the... Whatever. It's a priority in ministry. First of all, you need to be people of prayer. I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks to God, that's prayer, be made for all people. You need to be a praying people. Then he goes on later in chapter 2. He says, I want the, the men in every church to pray. Men need to be praying men in the church. It's a command. That's why we pray. B, why else do we pray? Well, to nurture our relationship with God because first and foremost, God is a person. Every attribute about God only describes the fact that He's a person. He is a holy God, an omniscient God, an omnipotent God, an eternal God, a sovereign God, everything about Him. But also the fact that He's a person. He's a holy person. He's a relational person. He is a social person. And we need to cultivate it. So God has condescended or accommodated Himself to actually enter into a relationship with finite fallen people. I don't know why He chose to do that other than for His glory. And so we can actually have a personal relationship with God. And the main way we do that, the highest and holy privilege we have as Christians is to pray. That is our greatest privilege. To pray to God, to interact with Him at any time. That's the amazing thing. At any time. How convenient. Acts 17 says He's not far from any one of us. He's only a prayer away, right? Because people will ask, well, why do you need to pray anyway? Because God knows everything. It's useless. Why go into God to pray? He knows everything anyway. Well, Jesus knew that. Because in Matthew 6, Jesus said, your Father knows what you need before you ask, but pray anyway. And some people say, well, I don't pray because God knows what we need. And that mentality just assumes that you're only going to God because you want things. Gimme, gimme, gimme. God already knows. That isn't why you go to prayer. The first and foremost reason you go to God is because you have a personal relationship with Him. It'd be like saying, I don't go to my wife because I already know what she's going to say. I don't kiss my wife because I already know what she's going to say. No, you have a relationship with your wife that is personal and intimate and you talk to her anyway and you're nice to her anyway and you kiss her anyway. Same thing with God. It is a personal relationship. That's why we pray. That is the main reason. We have a relationship with the Almighty God of the universe who is our friend. God is a friend of believers. Amazing. So we need to pray to Him to cultivate our relationship with Him. The psalmist said this, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. And that's why I pray. I have a personal relationship with Him. Why else do we pray? Well, it's a command to cultivate our relationship. And then letter C, God wants us to depend on Him. Going to God in prayer is a tangible expression of faith. It is. When you go to somebody, especially when you're asking for something, shows that you have dependence upon them. You have trust in them. You have faith in that person. So manifestly, showing faith to God by going to Him in humble prayer, you know what? Pleases God. We saw that in Hebrews 11.6. God is pleased when His people come to Him in prayer. He wants us to depend upon Him. We don't go to God only to ask Him for things, but He wants us to ask Him for things. And when we do it in faith, this pleases God. Imagine that a finite, fallen sinner can do something that pleases the eternal God of the universe. It is absolutely amazing. And when we go to God with dependence, in prayer, pleases Him. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What a great passage showing our dependence upon God in prayer. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Yahweh. He uses God's personal name. Trust in Yahweh with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. You need to lean on Him. Trust in Him. Depend on God, not yourself. In all your ways, every area of life should be subjected to Him in prayer. Bathed in prayer. That's another great diagnostic question. What area of your life are you not relinquishing or submitting to God in prayer? That you've got isolated... Oh, I can handle that. God doesn't need to worry about that area of my life or this decision or this relationship. And Proverbs says, no, don't trust in yourself or your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge God and He will make your path straight. That's an answer to prayer. That is a promise to answer prayer. Why else do we pray? Well, it's a command. Because we have a relationship, because God wants us to depend upon Him, and then D, it allows us to be involved in the process of what God is doing. You could be on the sidelines if you wanted to and watch and be a spectator. I guess some people prefer that. Don't have to get your hands dirty or sweat or whatever. But if you're a believer, you're a fellow workman with Christ. You're on His team. You're a player. You should be in the trenches with Him. Advancing the kingdom of God in prayer allows us one of the greatest ways to do that, greatest resources, hands-on, involved. Prayer allows us to literally be involved with what God is doing. I actually thought of a, a great verse that probably one of the best verses regarding this reality, and that's Ephesians 3. I'll just read it. Ephesians 3.20 says this, and this is after Paul's talking about prayer, and he says, Now to God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask, see prayer, We can be involved with God by virtue of prayer. And He'll even do more than we pray. Abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Isn't that amazing? God does everything. God saves people. God gets the Gospel out. God helps people. God provides for people. God edifies people. But God almost always uses other people to do it. So prayer is one of the ways that we can hands-on be involved in what God is doing in kingdom work. God wants us to pray because it gets us involved in His work. And then finally, related to that is letter E. God responds to prayer. What a great reason to pray. God responds to prayer. He answers prayer. He moves. Prayer is massaging and moving the muscles of the infinite God to move. God answers prayer. Even though He knows everything, even though He's omniscient, even though He is totally sovereign, over everything before the foundation of the world, God still amazingly somehow answers prayer. I don't know how that works. That is a mystery that boggles my mind. I only believe it because it's taught in the Bible. Prayer works. Prayer changes things. I should make a bumper sticker, but anyway. It's a reality. Just to look at, go to Exodus 22. This is probably one of the best examples in the Bible. God responds to prayer. Prayer changes things. Prayer moves the sovereign, eternal, omnipotent God of the universe. Psalm 32. God just delivered two million Jews, Israelites, from Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. They just saw an unbelievable miracle. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. Now they're entering into the desert. They're going to Mount Sinai. They're getting the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up on the mountain and says, I'll be back. I'm going to go get the Ten Commandments. I'm going to go get our Constitution. Moses is up on the mountain and God is giving out, literally, writing the Ten Commandments. God gets to that commandment where it says, Thou shalt have no graven images. No idols. 
as he thunders from heaven and writes it in stone to Moses on the mountain. Meanwhile, at the exact same time, the two million Jews are down there waiting for Moses. Man, Moses is taking a long time. Hey, let's make a, an idol out of gold. How ironic. That's what's going on. That's the setting. So God gets very angry. And it says that uh, Aaron was leading the way. Verse 3 of 32 in Exodus, it says, Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron, the brother of Moses, the high priest. Aaron took this from their hand, and he made a graving tool, and he made into it a molten calf statue or idol. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, that delivered you from Egypt. This idol. And they even named the idol Yahweh. They have the name right. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Wow. Made a dedication to it. And Aaron made a proclamation. said, Tomorrow shall be the feast unto Yahweh the golden calf. So the next day, they rose early and offered burnt offerings to this idol. Meanwhile, up on the mountain, verse 7, Yahweh spoke to Moses. Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have defiled themselves with the sin of idolatry. God continues and says, They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf. They have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it. And they have said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Listen to what God says. Then Yahweh said to Moses, God did, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people, a hard-hearted people, an unbelieving, sinful people. God goes on, Now then, leave me alone, Moses. Get out of my presence in order that my anger may burn against those people, your fellow Israelites, down at the bottom of the hill, so that I might destroy them and wipe them out. God was angry. And He wanted to wipe them out. And I will make of you, Moses, a great nation. I'll start all over. I'll get rid of those two million people and I'll, I'll make a new nation out of you, the only obedient one. Moses' response is amazing. He could have been overwhelmed and said, okay, God, whatever, you're in charge. Well, Moses didn't do that. Verse 11, as a great spiritual leader, Moses did the right thing. It says, Moses entreated Yahweh his God. Moses went to God in prayer, pleading as a mediator on behalf of the sinful people, wrestling with God, pleading with them passionately to do what? To change his mind. Moses entreated the Lord his God and he said, Oh Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, the Israelites, whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak against you, saying, with evil, their God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm against your people, O God. Change your mind. That's what Moses is asking him to do. That's what prayer is. God is immutable. He cannot change. God is all-knowing. He knows the future. God is totally sovereign. He's in charge of everything. And here's Moses pleading, change your mind. How does that work? I don't know. It's a miracle. It is a mystery. Verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Moses keeps going, your servants, God, that you swore to on oath by yourself. And you said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and give you all this land that I've spoken to give your descendants and they'll inherit it forever. This was an eternal promise you made to these people. Your reputation is at stake, God. You can't do this. I pray. And then here's the answer to prayer, verse 14. So the Lord, so Yahweh changed His mind. Wow. Don't ask me to explain what that means other than 
what we see there. God is immutable. He is unchanging. But the point is that we see from Scripture in the language that it can be communicated is that God answers prayer. He responds to prayer. It is true. Jesus said that Himself. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. After talking about prayer, He said, Ask, you'll get it. Seek, you'll find. Jesus was saying, God answers prayer. Amazing. That's a miracle. James says the same thing. James 5.16 The effective prayer of a righteous man or woman can accomplish much. Can do much. God wants passionate people of prayer. God is totally sovereign. And in His sovereignty in eternity past, in His sovereignty, He allowed prayer to be efficacious somehow in terms of fulfilling His plan. It's amazing. It's beyond comprehension. He has decided to use the prayers of His people to accomplish His sovereign eternal purposes. God answers prayer. He responds to prayer. Psalm 120, verse 1, In my trouble I called to the Lord, and He answered me. God answers prayer. What a great reason to pray. Number three, what is prayer? Why pray? And then finally, how do we pray? Remember, we were talking about biblical prayer? There's a very specific way we should pray as Christians. First of all, we pray to the Father. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, in Matthew 6, this is how you should pray. Our Father. You pray to the Father. Two things there. We pray only to God. We don't pray to humans. We don't pray to dead people. We don't pray to living people. We pray only to God. That's the Ten Commandments. This is basic. Anything else is idolatry. But we pray to the Father of the triune God that exists. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It starts with the Father. Because that's what Jesus said to do. Pray then this way. Our Father who art in heaven. How else do we pray? Well, B. We pray to the Father in the Spirit, in the realm of the Spirit, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who lives in every Christian. That's why we can pray and talk to God wherever He is. God is invisible. God is in heaven. God is transcendent. And the only way we can communicate immediately with Him is with a supernatural agent, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God lives in every believer and makes that is the realm of the Spirit. He is the one that makes it possible for us to communicate to God. We do it in the Spirit. And also... That phrase, in the Spirit, repeatedly in the New Testament, speaks of a dynamic relationship. It's not a canned spiel. It's not a ritualistic prayer to be memorized. In the Spirit means in the realm of the Spirit, which is a spontaneous, ongoing, dynamic, personal, intimate relationship that you have with a friend. In the Spirit. Through the agency of the Holy Spirit of God. So it's to the Father, through the Spirit, and finally in the name of Christ, as letter C. We pray in the name of Christ. Jesus said that several times in the Gospel of John. When you pray, pray in my name. And what he meant by that was pray consistent with my nature. Pray the way I would pray. Pray what I would want as the Lord Jesus Christ and have modeled for you. That's what in my name means. It doesn't mean tacking Jesus' name on the end of the prayer and it's a rubber stamp and, oh, I'm going to get what I want now. Pray in my name means pray consistent with the very character of Jesus Christ. The selfless, glorious God-man as He modeled in Scripture very clearly of what He wants. If you're praying for a million dollars, that's selfish. Jesus would never do that. He didn't model that. He thought of others in His prayers, not Himself all the time. So praying in the name of Christ means with the authority of Christ. Also, the most important thing, praying in the name of Christ means pray on the authority of Christ because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are a Christian. You've been saved by Christ's life. His death His resurrection, His ascension, and because you've bowed the knee to Him, and He is one of yours. He is your elder brother. If you're not a Christian, you can't go to the God of the universe in prayer. Psalm is very clear about that. Psalm 15, God doesn't hear the prayers of the unrighteous. 
So it's in Christ's name, by virtue of your relationship with Jesus Christ, because you have been adopted in the family of God. So we pray to the Father, through the Spirit, through our relationship, based on the work of Jesus Christ. And finally, we pray according to His will, according to God's will. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you pray, pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, Your will be done. You are in charge. You're the sovereign one. You know best. I submit my knee, my knee and my thoughts, my desires, my request, everything to You that You might funnel it, guide every thought that I have. That's the will of God. Uh, I want to read First John because this is amazing. A wonderful promise of prayer, but also talking about when we pray, we need to pray in the will of God. So starting at verse 14, here's John the Apostle and he says, this is the confidence which we have before God, if you're a Christian, that if we ask anything, here it is, anything according to His will. It can be anything according to His will. Say you're not getting along with your spouse and you're a believer. Does God want you to get along with your spouse? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians 7, God wants peace in the home. God has called us to peace. I guarantee if you pray for your spouse, dear God, allow me to have ongoing peace with my spouse. God, soften my sinful, unforgiving, bitter heart with the Spirit of God so that I might be one with my spouse. I guarantee 100% God is going to answer that prayer. That's praying according to His will, in accordance with Scripture, in accordance with His revealed objective revelation. That's why Scripture is so important. Scripture needs to guide and direct everything we do. It needs to even guide our prayer for legitimate prayer because there is illegitimate prayer that is not based on truth. Like the friend I had in college who was a Christian and a sweet, sincere naive Christian as we were praying in a circle. Dear God, soften Satan's heart and bring him to repentance that he might be born again. And everybody in the prayer circle opened their eyes and looked at her. There's faith and then there's, whoa, don't know what to call that. But I'd take her aside afterwards and say, uh, Satan ain't ever going to get saved. So that is a prayer not in according to God's will. It's not in keeping with Scripture. So we've got to pray according to His will. Question number four, why pray every day? Well, I hope you will. I, and I think that was my heart's desire that this would just be a catalyst, motivator, reminder, a stimulant just to be more prayerful today, this week, starting just praying every day. It doesn't have to be hours on end. But here are just, I think, several practical reasons why you should pray every day and why I should, according to Scripture. Because we have to make important decisions every single day. Think about it. Decisions regarding your marriage, your family, your finances, your job, your relationships. Every single one of us has to make an important decision every single day. What do we lack? We lack wisdom. Scripture is clear. If any of you, and that's point number, letter A. Why we should pray every day? For direction. We need God's wisdom. Scripture is clear. James 1, 5-7. If any of you lacks wisdom. If any of you Christians lack wisdom, I do, in many areas. If any of you lacks wisdom, then let him ask of God. When you've got a difficult decision to make, the first thing you should think of is, man, I've got to ask God about this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all people, all believers, generously and without reproach. Only when they're praying and in His will, though, He's going to put restrictions on it. He gives generously. He answers generously. He's not prejudiced. And it will be given to you. God will answer your prayer. He will give you wisdom. But, here's the caution. Here are the parameters. Here are the stipulations. Let the Christian ask in faith without doubting. Don't doubt God. That's a stumbling block. That short circuits the process of Him wanting to bless you. God wants us to depend and trust in Him. You can't doubt. 
if, especially if it's in God's will. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that person or Christian expect that they will receive any wisdom from God. So there are conditions, but every day we pray because we need direction. Point B, we need to pray every day because we need protection. Satan is alive and well on planet earth, roaming around like a voracious lion, seeking who he's going to deceive and cause to stumble and shred to pieces according to 1 Peter 5.8. And that's why Jesus said, when you pray, you pray every day. And when you pray every day, you pray, Father, deliver us from the evil one. Protect us from Satan. Deliver us from his wiles. From the intrusion he's making in my home, my marriage with my kids. His deception. So we pray for direction and protection. Let her see. We pray every day for confession. Jesus said it. When you pray, pray every day. And when you pray every day, pray for confession. Forgive us our debts. Forgive me of my sin. You should be praying regarding your sin every day. I should be confessing my sin every single day. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Romans 7 says you have sin living in you as a Christian. You can never eradicate it. It is always there. Despite what some popular Christian person on the radio says and believes that they haven't sinned in three years, we're susceptible to sin every single day. We need to be confessing every day our sin before God. So direction, protection, confession. Also, we should be praying every day because of adoration. Adoring God. Worshiping Him. Adoring Him. Praising Him. Loving Him by virtue of our relationship with Him and how awesome He is. Daily praising God. It's all about Him. He is the focus in prayer. Our Father, Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. It's all about God. He is the focus. We need to continually adore Him every single day. Also, every day we should be praying with thanksgiving. That's letter E. In everything, give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Are you, are you a thankful person or a whining, cantankerous, critical, judgmental, complaining person? If you're a Christian, you better be a thankful person because then if you're thankful, you're in the will of God. If you're not thankful, you're out of the will of God. You're on your own. We should be giving thanks every day. I don't care what's going on in your life or how bad my life gets. If I'm a Christian, I always have something to be thankful for at a minimum, which is the greatest thing to be thankful for in the world, is I have forgiven sin in the name of Jesus Christ and I know the God of the universe personally. And I am going to heaven. And even now I am blessed by God and I know Him. Christian always has something to be thankful for. That pleases God. And then finally, we should be praying every day for provision. Jesus said it. Give us this day. It's okay to pray for your needs. Because that shows dependence upon God. Our needs. Not our wants. Our needs. Not our lusts. Our needs. When you pray, plead with the Father, Father, give us this day our daily bread. God, give me a job. Some of you have been without work. That is a legitimate prayer, to plead with God, to wrestle with God. God, you want me to work? You want me to work by the sweat of my brow? That's in the will of God. You gave an edict. I want to obey you. I want to honor you. I want to represent you well and not shame your name. God, I need employment. Or whatever it is you need. A spouse. The salvation of your children. Praying with passion and very specifically. Praying for His provision. And then finally I'll close with this, and that is what inhibits prayer. What gets in the way? And we all have inhibitors to prayer. We go through cycles. I know I do. There's just sometimes I just do not feel like praying. Humdrum, ho-hum, callous, cold, weary, tired, excuses. Well, let me close with these ones. Uh, and then I put the verse reference there for you. What inhibits prayer? Sin. Sin in our life. If we're cultivating and hiding some secret sin in our life, it is going to cause us to distance ourselves from the convicting holiness of God and we won't want to pray. Confess your sin. That will clean you up real quick. 
uh, pride, self-sufficiency. If you think you can do all things in your own strength and your own power and you're a hotshot, I guarantee you won't be praying. The only prayer you'll be praying is like the Pharisee did. God, thank you that you made me this way and that I'm this way and I'm better than this person. I'm not a woman. I'm not a tax. Pride. God will cut you down. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Uh, the third inhibitor of prayer is disunity. If you're fighting with a believer, you've got disunity in your home or dissension with another believer in the church, uh, that will stifle prayer and the power of God. That will grieve the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you. D, if you are not in the Word, if you're not in the Word feeding on the Word of God, which the Holy Spirit uses to stimulate our sensitivities and passions and awareness for prayer, you're not going to be passionate about prayer. So get your nose in the Word, whether it's reading it, listening to it in the car, on the radio, whatever. Get the Word of God in your mind, in your brain. It'll get in your heart and it'll inflame your passion to pray. What else inhibits prayer? Isolation. Proverbs 18.1 The fool isolates himself. Secluding yourself. Distancing yourself from other believers. That'll put you in a very dangerous and vulnerable position of not praying and not depending upon God and falling to compromise and sin. Isolation. Very, very dangerous. And then finally, another inhibitor to prayer is doubt. Not believing. And we saw that in James 1. Ask God. Believe with faith. If you don't have enough faith, go to the source that gives you more faith. Faith only comes from one place, Romans 10.17 says. It comes from hearing the Word of God. That's it. If you're short on faith, go to the Word of God. Feed on the milk of the Word. Feed on the meat of the Word and that will increase your faith and it will help your prayer life. So there's a quick, blistering overview of some of the basic principles and what the Bible has to say about prayer. And my closing question for you people is what are you doing tomorrow night at 7 p.m.? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank You for this day and our time to worship You, to learn from You, to be with the saints, to encourage one another, to be edified and to see You work. Help us to continually give You the glory for all things. God, thank You for the gift of prayer, the ability to converse and talk with You. And God, every person that is a believer in this building this morning, Remind us of these Scriptures so that this day and this week we'll be more passionate, deliberate, and active in our prayer life. And God, that You're going to help us individually and also corporately here at GBF to be a people of prayer so that You can change us and so that You will be glorified in all things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.